Now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. Indeed, 10.08 now. We continue into hour number two on AM 1420. The answer, happy Thursday to you. Thanks again to Admiral Brett Joie joining us from the White House Coronavirus Task Force, as well as uh, Hogan Gidley, who's going to be with us in about uh, 30 minutes. Maybe a little less. We'll call it about 26 minutes. Uh, but uh, Hogan Gidley is the press secretary for Trump-Pence 2020, the re-election campaign. The president, of course, in town today. And uh, Hogan Gidley is going to join us to talk about that. But now uh, I want to turn our attention to our regular Thursday guest. He, of course, is Dr. Everett Piper, who is a former university president. Now, in addition to being a columnist for The Washington Times, he is also a radio host in Oklahoma. And, of course, he is a best-selling author. Dr. Everett Piper, good to have you back on the program in Cleveland. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. Sorry for missing last week. Oh no, not at all. I'm glad to hear that you are feeling better. I'm glad you didn't come down with the virus. Do we, any any? Did you get tested? <laughs> well, I, it's a long story more than you want to talk about. But no, <laughs> I didn't. I just I just doused myself in Nyquil. It's the miracle drug. It's God's gift to humanity, as far as I'm concerned. But I have been tested before for uh, COVID. But that's another story. But no, I'm fine. Uh, I wonder if there's any hydroxy in the uh, Nyquil. Maybe that's the answer. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, if, if anybody's sick, just go buy copious amounts of NyQuil and drown yourself for about 48 hours and all is well. <laughs> <laughs> I have found that to be similar, uh, similar experience as well. All right, Dr. Piper, I want to talk... Uh you know, this is this is what we're we're sixty seventy nights past uh, the first protest uh, slash riot uh, in the name of George Floyd in Portland and Seattle and in Minneapolis and elsewhere. It's just getting worse, and it of course is no longer about George Floyd. It wasn't probably forty eight hours later. It was an attempt and an uh, effort to um, use race racial division in this country to essentially overturn this country, to overthrow its gov- the government, to uh, essentially get rid of the capitalist. Society and the um, the uh, nuclear family upon which it is built. That is what Black Lives Matter. That is what Antifa. That is what Revcom USA, the Revolutionary Communist Party, all have in common. And they're using racial division to fuel that. And um, you wrote a great piece this past weekend about that. Uh, and in particular, what some of those who are supposed to be calling for racial equality have to say about not racial equality, but racial inferiority. And the inferior race, according to these leaders, is the white race. Kind of thing that you couldn't say about the black race, or any white person couldn't say about the black race, without starting another riot. So uh, tell us about it. Well, you've talked about these people, so I'm going to be brief. But in my article, I cover several black leaders, black voices, that are openly saying these things. You have Usara Kogali. She lives in Toronto. I know it's another country, but I'm going to include her in this analysis because what she's saying is identical to what people in the United States are saying. As we talked before on your show once, she has said that white people are a genetic defect of blackness. Whiteness is not humanness. In fact, white skin is subhuman. Usari Gagali, Black Lives Matter leader from Toronto. Um, she goes on with other of repugnant statements, but she concludes by saying, please, Allah, give me the strength to not kill these white folks out here today. Usara Kigali, Nick Cannon, we've talked about him, the host of The Masked Singer. He has said that white people are a little less, quote-unquote, a little less, and that they're closer to animals and that they are the true 
savages. He says melanated people have a natural sense of compassion and soul that white people lack. He has said this. He has said this openly. And then we have um, Nicole Hannah-Jones, the New York Times author of the 1619 Project, a curriculum that I understand has been approved throughout many of the school districts of Ohio. Nicole Hannah-Jones, she has said that whites are, quote, barbaric devils, a savage people. Okay, this is the stuff that's being said. And let's not forget about uh, New York Times' Sarah Young, where she said that whites are goblins and they smell like dogs. She has said that openly, and she's called to cancel all white people. I wonder what that means. And then, you know, in my article, I, I wrap it up by asking this question. What in the world happened to our nation? In 2008, polls indicated that we had a 70% confidence rating in racial relations. There was a high degree of optimism when Barack Obama was elected. And in fact, his election seemed to indicate that the racism of our past was something that we had put behind us and we were celebrating a color-blind society rather than one that judged people on the basis of the color of their skin. We were going to elevate people on the basis of character. Oh, but no, because of Barack Obama and his ideology, the fact that he actually embraces the ideology of Black Lives Matter, he took these smoldering embers of racism, which were almost out, and he threw the gasoline of victimization on it, and he lit the match, and he stood back and watched. And that's why we're suffering this stuff today. Two words why we have become such a racist nation. Barack Obama. Dr. Everett Piper is our guest. You know, it's what you said there, the second to last thing is so incredibly important, um, that the election of Barack Obama was supposed to have heralded in a, an era of, of racial unity unlike anything we've ever had. Um, the, the true test of whether or not black people have the same opportunity in, in, in the United States of America as white people in every other race, uh, that test was passed. We had a black president. We had an African American that was supposed to bring this post-racial, uh, you know, time of, of great unity in, into play. And instead of doing that, uh, it did the opposite. He used that platform, and which is I saw ironic because he is only half black. You know, he has a white parent and a black parent, but he has completely turned his back on the white side of himself and used that opportunity for eight years to foster anti uh, racial. Well, I, I guess the opposite the opposite of racial unity would be racial uh, dysfunction and racial disharmony. He used his platform to actually make things worse. Now. Uh, people need to remember this. I've said it a thousand times on your show. It's one of my one-string banjos. Ideas have consequences. They always bear fruit, and bad ideas are going to bear bad consequences in our culture and in our streets. Barack Obama embraces the ideas, the ideology of W.E.B. Du Bois, and he has skewed the ideas of Booker T. Washington, two black leaders that had antithetical views. Booker T. Washington, responsibility and forgiveness. W.E. Du Bois revenge and recompense and the black lives matter community and black uh leaders who have embraced w.e.b du bois and his communism and his revenge and his uh ideology of victimization and vice are now prevailing this is the this is the ideology of malcolm x versus martin luther king jr it's the ideology of comeuppance and we want our pound of flesh rather than forgiveness it's the ideology of paying attention to color 
rather than character. W.E.B. Du Bois versus Booker T. Washington. Dr. Everett Piper is our guest. Let's pivot to, I mentioned at the beginning, uh, the 70-some straight nights of violence and rioting and arson and attacks and assaults of uh, uh, in Portland and in some other cities as well. But Portland perhaps is the center of all of this. Last week, they took it to a new level. Actually, just a few days ago. They took it to a whole other level. They were burning Bibles, a stack of Bibles to burn in the front of the federal courthouse in Portland. What's the symbolism of that to you, Dr. Piper? It's just overt. It's overt anti-Christianity. It's uh, overt anti-Semitism. Um, and and where, where's the Democratic leader condemning this? Have you heard Pelosi condemning it? Have you heard anybody? Uh, maybe so. I haven't heard any leadership in the Democratic Party condemning these people. And at the same time, John MacArthur, a pastor of a mega church in Southern California, is threatened with fines and potential arrest by L.A. County because he opened his church. So they're going to arrest John MacArthur for wanting to read the Bible in his church. But what are they doing with these BLM protesters in Portland who are burning Bibles? I guess it's okay to burn Bibles in front of the courthouse of Portland, but it's not okay to read Bibles inside the church at John MacArthur's Grace Community Church in Los Angeles. The symbolism, it's not even symbolism anymore. This is overt anti-Semitism and it's overt anti-Christianity. We will burn down the very foundation, not just the walls, but we will burn the foundation of a Judeo-Christian ethic and a Judeo-Christian culture and community. What does that have to do with Black Lives Matter, though? This was supposed to be all about Black Lives Mattering. Now, again, we have to differentiate between the phrase Black Lives Matter, which of course they do, and the group Black Lives Matter, which is a Marxist organization hell-bent on destroying the foundation of this country uh, and turning it into essentially a socialist or communist uh, utopia that they believe in. Uh, Why why the assault on religion? Uh, You summarize because Black Lives Matter is not about the dignity of black people. It's about the promotion of Marxism, and it's about the destruction of the nuclear family, because you cannot have communism and Marxism if the family is still strong. You cannot have communism and Marxism if the church still is the core of your culture. We go back to Stalin. We go back to Mao. We go back to even back to the French Revolution before communism, you if you want to destroy a culture, you have to, as Diderot said in the French Revolution, we will be satisfied with nothing less until the last king is strangled by the, la- by the entrails of the last priest. In other words, you can't bring down the government until you strangle the priest and kill the priest and kill the church. Kill the church, and you go- you're going to fill the void with the power of, of government, the power of Mar- mm-hmm. of Marxism. That's why they go after the church, which which is which is a religion essentially to those who practice it anyway. That is religion. Is that that far left ideology that Marxism? They really do. They they to them it's a it's a theology. Uh, Doctor Everett Piper is our guest on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Well, let's break there. I want to come back and talk about COVID nineteen. I joked about hydroxychloroquine maybe being the cure all that was in your Nyquil. Of course, that was a joke. But I know that you have some thoughts on the possible use of and why it is being denied to so many people hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID nineteen. We'll get your thoughts on that as we continue on AM 1420 The Answer.
Okay, 1024 now. AM 1420, The Answer. I've got uh, one good segment left here with Dr. Everett Piper. Uh, Dr. Piper, I just had Admiral Brett Joie on the program last half hour. He was, uh, he is rather a member of the United States, uh, 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 coronavirus task force, the White House task force, I should say. And, uh, I asked him about, about, uh, hydroxychloroquine. He has been very critical of it. He said on Meet the Press on Sunday that it does not work and there is no evidence that it does work. When I asked him about that, he said, look, I'm not closing the door on it saying it can't, but right now he cannot recommend its usage because he doesn't think it works. Um, and that there is no evidence of that apparently there is evidence in other countries though uh and i know you you uh tweeted about this and there's an interesting article about uh countries including india in which hydroxychloroquine has proven to have been the the one drug that has staved off a massive spread of that viral infection in those countries what are your thoughts can i ask you a question before i answer is the colonel that you just had on is he a medical doctor admiral and yes he's an md okay well, I need to take a spoonful of humility as I answer the question. I am not a medical doctor, and I have always felt I kind of need to keep my mouth shut to some extent on what medications work and don't work. So I've tried to seek the counsel of friends of mine who are MDs, and I float them articles, and I say, what should I say about this, if anything? Does this work or not work? What do you think? Okay, so I am not a medical doctor, so I defer to this man's wisdom that you just had on. However... He's not the only medical doctor out there, and there are thousands of people in his camp, in his club, if you will, medical doctors who are saying there is some evidence that this is effective. There's an article out recently by, I believe it's the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons. They have petitioned the White House and the Congress to release more of the physicians to prescribe this stuff liberally. Now, why? They cite a couple different studies. One is that the nations, excuse me, the countries, the governments that have not put any restrictions on the prescription and the use of hydroxychloroquine have 10% the mortality rate of those nations such as the United States that have allowed the media and others to politicize it. 10%. That's what this organization is saying, and it's loaded up of thousands of medical professionals. 10%. Now, let's say that they're wrong to some extent. Let's say it's 20%, 50%. Let's go back to what Andrew Cuomo has said repeatedly at the front end of this crisis. If quarantine saves one life, one life, if shutting down the economy saves one life, just one life, then it's all worth it. Are we really ready to say that hydroxychloroquine and the use doesn't save at least one life? There's tons of evidence out there, such as this study, that says the mortality rate is only 10%. And if that's true, if that's true, the 160,000 deaths in the United States would be decreased to 16,000 if we would have used it in the same manner that other countries have used it. There's another study, and then I'll take a breath. It's a study out of a slum in India, a slum in India that has 650,000 people The density of this slum, the population density per kilometer, is something like four times, maybe five times that of New York City. That slum has used hydroxychloroquine liberally, and it has reduced the infection rate. It could have been a hotspot. It could have been a disaster to have 650,000 people packed on top of one another in this slum. They thought it was going to be an outbreak. It has been reduced to no new cases. Now, there are a variety of things they've done, but hydroxychloroquine is one of them.
So my, I have this question. Why not use it? Why not use it? Why have we allowed the media and the government to politicize it? If my doctor wants to give it to me because I was sick, sick last week, why not? What is the danger? What is the risk? Oh, well, you could OD on it. I could OD on NyQuil, okay? I could, I could abuse any drug. I could abuse aspirin. But hydroxychloroquine has been used for nearly three-quarters of a century effectively on, mal- on malaria as well as arthritis and other diseases. Why not use it when other countries are seeing some degree of effectiveness? And there are other studies out there, too. Newsweek just published a, a medical doctor. Newsweek, not a liberal, excuse me, not a conservative bastion of news, I might add. Newsweek had a professor from Yale Medical School saying the stuff is effective. So I have questions. I'm not a medical doctor, but I have questions. Well, you know what? You know who else is not a medical doctor? Mark Zuckerberg is not a medical doctor. And neither is Jack Dorsey, who runs Twitter. And this is the most frustrating thing to me. Everything you just said is accurate in terms of what is being reported by some doctors. Now, doctors like Dr. Giroir or Admiral Giroir disagree. And, and that's okay. That's allowed. The medical community can disagree. That's what science is. It's always being challenged and peer-reviewed, et cetera, et cetera. Doctors disagreeing with doctors is okay. But what isn't okay is for our tech overlords to say only some doctors can be heard and others who disagree with them must be censored and silenced. And that's what's happening here. And that, to me, is a huge, huge threat to public health. Oh, absolutely. And as we conclude, I'm going to ask everybody, do you know what degree Mark Zuckerberg has? Do you know what degree, his highest degree that Mark Zuckerberg holds? A diploma. High school diploma. High school diploma. He has zero, zero education in medical science. Zero. Mark Zuckerberg needs to shut up and sit down and let medical doctors that disagree debate and come to the natural conclusions that come from open, robust exchange of ideas, that, as you just said, is called science. Dr. Everett Piper laying it out, fired up today. Good stuff, Dr. Piper. Maybe you should take a week off a little more often, although I wouldn't like that, but you come back with a vengeance, and I like it. Very well done, Dr. Piper. (laughs) I wish you good health. No, seriously, I'm glad you're feeling better. Thanks for for the time today, and we'll talk to you again next Thursday. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you. Dr. Everett Piper on AM 1420. The answer now it is 1030. We'll take our news break here. And on the flip side, uh, we are going to talk about President Trump's visit to Northeast Ohio today. Hogan Gidley used to be the deputy press secretary for the uh, White House, and now he is the press secretary for the Trump 2020 reelection campaign. And he'll join us next on AM 1420. The answer. No, we're not talking to Hulk Hogan. We're talking to Gidley, comma, Hogan. (laughs) I like what you're doing there. (laughs) What a great way to start at 1035 as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. This is Gidley, comma, Hogan. His unscripted moments are problematic enough for Democrats. When the Americans see him without a teleprompter or without heavy editing, what they hear is what you just saw. They also hear things like Arizona is a great city. They hear things like children love to rub my leg hair, things Joe Biden has actually said. What I'm more concerned about is what he has now done with policy. He has embraced the far left socialist agenda with everything. And as we're trying to come out 
of this coronavirus pandemic and get our economy back working, he's embracing the socialist agenda of higher taxes to the tune of $4 trillion, flooding the job market with illegal immigrants as he's going to push for amnesty as well. So all these things are problematic for Joe Biden. The Democrats know it. It's one of the reasons he stays down in his hidey hole most of the time. Because and that's where he should stay all of the time. All right, that's Hogan Gidley on Memorex. Now let's bring him live on AM 1420. The answer, he is the press secretary for the Trump re-election campaign, Trump Pence 2020. Hogan, good to talk to you again here. Are you, how are you? I'm doing well. Wait a minute. Is Hulk Hogan coming up, really? I'd love to stay on and listen to that. <laughs> I just love the fact they took your first name and said, let's do Real America, and that's outstanding. Uh, okay. Um <laughs> Hogan Kidley, uh, the president is in town today for a fundraiser, uh, which is extraordinarily important, obviously, because we are now less than 90 days away from this, uh, from this election. And he comes to Northeast Ohio at a time when we are dealing with an extraordinary spike in crime, violent crime, shootings up 60 plus percent, the way they are in a lot of other big cities, a lot of big urban areas that are run by Democrat leadership, including, uh, our mayor, this mayor of Cleveland, the city council of cleveland and he wants to help he said i'm going to send federal agents in uh, as a part of the legacy uh, uh, program and do what we can to try to protect the citizens here and all he does is get pushback everywhere he goes for that what can you tell us about uh why why that's important for a town like cleveland well, look, the president is all about safety and security, law and order, protecting our families, our communities, our city streets. And, you know, oftentimes politicians speak in the abstract when they're on the campaign trail. Here's what I'd like to do. Here are some things that I'm promising to do for you. But what I always like to say is you don't have to guess with Joe Biden because he's been in office for 50 years. You don't have to guess what his economy would look like. We can talk about that in a minute. But you don't have to guess what our city streets would look like either. We've seen them devolve into lawlessness, criminal behavior, people rioting and looting, smashing in storefronts, stealing merchandise, burning churches, burning federal buildings, attacking innocent Americans for just you know trying to defend their own businesses that they themselves created, attacking them you know with hard metal objects or just beating them with their fists, leaving them bloody in the middle of the street to, to lie there in a pool of their own blood. Joe Biden hadn't said anything. He hadn't condemned it at all. In fact, when he did pop out of the hidey hole I talked about in the clip before, he just says, yeah, defund the police is fine. I'm for that. So it's a clear contrast when you get down to it because elections are about choices. And when this president stands up and says, we're going to protect the streets, Joe Biden says, I want to defund the police. It's a complete an utter, um, you know, clear choice for the American people to see. Well, it's pandering to, to black voters because, of course, the anger over what happened to George Floyd in Minneapolis is what has led to these now 70-plus days of rioting and, and extraordinarily unchecked violence and the defunding of police uh, police departments to the tune of a billion dollars in New York and, and so, New York and so on and so forth. They think they're appealing to black voters. But, Hogan, this is, and, and Stevie and comment on this, Gallup just released a poll this morning that shows 80% of African Americans, 81% to be precise, want police to spend as much time, the same amount of time that they already spend in their communities, or more. They don't want cops to go away because when cops go away, black people get hurt. When cops go away, black people get killed by an extraordinarily disproportionate number in the United States. President Trump is trying to save black lives, and Black Lives Matter is trying to get rid of the cops. 
No question. And he's done that at every single turn. It doesn't matter your race, your color, your creed, your religion. He wants you protected in this country. And, you know, so often the government participates in massive overreach. And it's funny because liberals really want to take control of your school system from the federal level. They want to take control of your health care system from the federal level. They want intrusiveness into your own life. But when it comes to something the government is supposed to do, which is protect those who can't protect themselves, they're now saying, no, we don't want our federal government to get involved. We don't want our state government to get involved. We don't want our local law enforcement to get involved. What we want is lawlessness to reign in the streets. What they are doing is creating the very chaos um, that they say they don't want so that they can try and pin it on Donald Trump just for political reasons. And that's what's so incredible. The, 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 the truth, though, as you just pointed out, is so many of these cities where you've seen spikes in crime and deaths are run by Democrats and have been for decades. From the governor to the mayor to the city councils to the dog catcher, they all are Democrats. So it's going to be very difficult for them to try and tether their own mistakes to this president who's sitting in Washington, D.C., trying to improve the lives of all Americans versus those at the local level who can actually effectuate change on their city streets if they want to. But telling law enforcement to stand down, not to use the non-lethal forms of, of control like pepper spray and other things, that's just insanity. And anyone, as you just point out in Gallup, 81% of African Americans know you need more cops not less. And this president is about defending the police. Joe Biden is about defunding the police. And that's a serious issue. Yeah, one letter separating those words, but uh, miles of difference uh, in in terms of their impact. We're talking to Hogan Gidley. He is the press secretary for Trump Pence 2020. Let me talk another huge election issue here, of course, is is COVID-19. The left and the media, and that's kind of repetitive, they are the same. Uh, are trying to pin the blame on President Trump for, you know, what we're moving toward, 5 million total cases in the United States. We've got 150,000 or so uh, fatalities. Now they, we can argue forever about the true accuracy of those numbers because we have seen people who have been killed in motorcycle accidents being recorded as COVID deaths. It's simply inconceivable. But be that as it may, it continues to be a problem, and the left is pinning it on President Trump, saying he didn't do enough from the beginning and isn't doing enough right now to stop this the way that other countries have seen a decrease. How's the president going to handle that in terms of messaging over the next 90 days? As I said, you don't have to guess what Joe Biden would do in our city streets because we've seen it. You don't have to guess what Joe Biden would do with a pandemic either. He came out and gave his prescriptions of how he would fix the issue with COVID. Media didn't report on the fact that we have already done all of that. (laughs) President Trump's already done it. And let's go back in time if we can for a moment. It was this president who shut down flights to China, shut down flights from Europe as well. And Joe Biden and the Democrats called him racist and called him xenophobic. Then they had to come out and even admit Donald Trump was probably right and we probably saved some lives. We just didn't like it at the time. Let's not forget, it was Donald Trump who was talking about coronavirus during the State of the Union address. Nancy Pelosi tore that thing to shreds. Let's also not forget, it was Donald Trump who said on uh, March 31st, Probably a good idea to start wearing masks. Science is shifting. Let's think about it. Uh, April 3rd, he and the CDC came out, issued new guidelines to wear masks. It was a month and five days later 
before every single press person in the briefing room finally wore a mask. But the, but the way they tell it, they rang in the new year in January with champagne and N95 masks. They did not. No one was talking about this except to try and rip President Trump because does anyone out there within the sound of our voices remember what the Democrats and the media were talking about in the first three months of this year while the president was setting up a task force, banning flights and finding out ways to combat this virus and rebuild our stockpile that Biden left empty? They were focused on impeachment. They didn't give two wits about uh, a virus coming in from China. And when we did start to talk about it, then they got mad that we called it China virus in the first place, when they themselves were doing it too. So this whole revisionist history is absolutely insane. And one more point I'll make. As I said, you don't have to guess how Joe Biden would handle this. They had pandemics in the Biden administration. And when they were faced with 60 million people in this country that got swine flu, Joe Biden's prescription was to stop testing because, quote unquote, he didn't want to waste the resources. We know it's here. Why test? Can you imagine what would happen in the mainstream media if Donald Trump came out today and said in Ohio, hey, we're just going to stop testing. We know coronavirus is here. They would lose their minds. But when Joe Biden does it, he is, is the most brilliant person on the face of the earth. And I got to tell you, the mainstream media is not good at a lot of things. What they are good at is protecting their own. Joe Biden's one of them, and so they're going to do whatever they can to protect him. I think it's important, too, to point out that during that H1N1 virus, you just mentioned they didn't think enough to test or they didn't care enough to test. Uh, this is what Ron Klain, who was Biden's chief of staff yes. at the time, said in 2019, so actually before this thing really broke out here, he said, quote, it is purely a fortuity that this isn't one of the great mass casualty events in American history. It had nothing to do with us doing anything right. It just had to do with luck. If anyone thinks that this can't happen again, they don't have to go back to 1918. They just have to go back to 2009, 2010, and imagine a virus with a different lethality, and you can just do the math on that. So it, you're 100% right. And yet he and his his uh, uh, spokespersons continue to go out there and say, the, uh, Barack Obama and I uh, left President Trump with a playbook on how to handle a pandemic, and he didn't follow it, and Americans are, are, are paying for it with their lives. But what playbook did they possibly leave? Uh, uh, that you know that let sixty point eight million people become infected. Also, thanks for the playbook. What 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 should we have done? Taken the pages out, put hole punches at the corners, and worn them as masks. You didn't leave us with anything <laughs> in the stockpile. What's a playbook going to do? And by Amen. the way, yeah, so much of that playbook was just junk. It was all. It had nothing to do with this. This look. This is an unprecedented virus. There's a reason testing wasn't available immediately because no one had the strain of the virus. It was brand new. And when you have a country like China lying to the world, the WHO covering for that, and now Joe Biden says, hey, I really think we should give more money to the very organization that covered up information on behalf of China that allowed the world to be infected at a historically rapid rate, that's insane. This president says no, took all the hundreds of millions of dollars away from the WHO and said we're not going to give money to a place that continually tries to hurt America, nor are we going to support a communist regime that also lied to us. And Joe Biden doesn't have a problem with that because he loves China so much, as you know, with his favored nation status and all the ways he kowtows to that communist um, the country. But regardless of that, the fact is um, this president – 
is the one who took bold, decisive action early on that saved millions of Americans' lives. And Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, Dr. Redfield, Dr. Hahn have all said the exact same thing. He was the one pushing to protect Americans early on, and all that the reporters cared about were, um, you know, trying to show rifts within the administration or, you know, shady. Uh, not nonsensical conversations that were happening behind closed doors as, oppo- as opposed to focusing on the actual policy that this president put forward that protected Americans. Hogan Gidley is our guest, press sec- secretary for Trump, Pence 2020. Last question is, is to let, let's crystal ball this thing. We're less than 90 days away. Uh, the polls are narrowing. A, a whole poll just this morning from the Hill Harris shows the president who was trailing by seven points to Biden in a July 17th to 20 survey, now down to three. It looks like things are trending in the right direction in terms of the polls. And most of us don't believe those polls anyway, because we know that, that they are oversampling Democrats, and, and there are a lot of Trump supporters who are staying quiet. But my question to you is, even if that's correct and even if we have more behind the scenes and really kind of you know low uh, uh pr- low profile trump support out there that's going to come out in massive numbers on election day will we have an election day hogan will we have an election day or will we have i think the word you used would be a disastrous mail-in only election well I think we're going to have an election day unless Congress decides to act on that because obviously they control the date of the election. Uh, but let's be clear. Um, it's the Democrats who are actually trying to change the date. They have now sued in 10 states to try and allow voting after election day. Nevada is a great example of that. They just passed universal mail-in voting. Now, what that means, it's not absentee voting where you request a ballot. There's a lot of validation mechanisms in place to make sure it's actually you requesting it, the signature matches up, and all those things. Nevada did universal mail-in voting. They're going to mail 1.9 million ballots out to their citizens, whether they ask for them or not. Then they're also going to leave the polls open on Election Day, encouraging double voting. What's also buried in that bill is that after Election Day, you can still count a ballot – without a postmark on it for three days, meaning if you wake up Wednesday morning and you're a Democrat operative and you see that President Trump is leading Nevada by 100 votes, that Democrat operative looks at his team and says, hey, go find me 101. They can do that in Nevada because of this Democrat law they've passed. It is completely dangerous. And on top of that, whereas all the other states that, that allow for mail-in voting – Their cutoff is the actual day of the election. What Nevada just said is, we'll take them seven days after. So you can literally get seven days after the election to try and change the outcome. That is unacceptable. Every single person who votes in this country deserves their vote to count. It, it, it should mean something. The integrity of our election system is at stake here, and Democrats don't care because what they want is political power, and they get political power by rigging elections. And they rig elections by passing ridiculous laws like this one in Nevada to try and allow them more time on the clock to defeat this president because they know if the election is free and fair, they're going to lose. 
They're going to claim that there will be no problem, that the president is going to sabotage the Postal Service in order to make them look incompetent so that they can't do this effectively. I want you, Hogan Gidley, if you can, and the rest of the team, show the world the video of the mail carrier down in Texas, a postal worker who is a Democrat activist, apparently, because he took a Republican congressional candidate, Sheriff Troy Nels, took... Uh, 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 stacks and stacks of campaign mailers that were supposed to go out to people to promote his candidacy, and he's on video dumping them into a dumpster. He literally is not going to deliver them because he didn't want the Republican message to be received by the by, by the people on his mail route. Uh, you see things like that, and now multiply that by how many others like him, and tell me that we can possibly have a fair election by mail. I, I hope you guys can make use of those kinds of things. There are plenty of anecdotal examples like that that show that we cannot have a mail-in election and really trust that its veracity. You're absolutely right. We're fighting it. We're going to win this thing in court because the American people deserve to have a free and fair election. And if you think for two seconds the Democrats aren't going to play dirty to try and get this president out of office, um, th- then you've lost your mind. That's exactly what they're, they're going to do. Tape. And we're going to make sure that it's that, that, yeah they're on tape doing it. That's exactly right. And then they still deny it. And the, their their partners in the media say no, no, it never happens anywhere. And it, it, how many instances? A mail-in fraud do we need when they're kicking out 20% of the vote in New Jersey? 100,000 votes weren't even counted in California. We don't know <laughs> six weeks after an election in two congressional districts in New York who the victors are because of the mail-in voting system. You can't change an election voting system three months before an election, but they're trying to do it, it be, because they want to cook the books. We're not going to let them. It would be chaos on November 4th and November 14th and November 24th and probably into next year if we tried to do something like that on the national scale. Hogan Gidley, Press Sec- Secretary for Trump-Pence 2020, thank you for the time. Good luck, sir. Absolutely. Thanks so much. You got it. 1053 now. Let's get out and come back in to wrap it up on AM 1420, The Answer. Well, that's uh, that's going to put a wrap on this one. Good stuff from Hogan Gidley. I want to just emphasize one of the stories, or actually two of the quick stories I talked about with him to wrap it up. Two polls that came out today. The Hill-Harris poll showing that the gap between Joe Biden and President Trump has narrowed from seven to three points as we move into August now. And then the the Gallup poll that came out this morning. If the left thinks they can just burn America down over quote-unquote Black Lives Matter, thinking that it's going to get black people behind them and win the election? They're more delusional than, than they even realize. Black Americans, and we've known this, those of us on the right, those of us on the side of law and order, we have known this. Black Americans don't hate the police. Black Americans love the police because black Americans know that police save their lives. And when they're not there, they're in serious jeopardy in high, violent crime areas. Gallup survey released this morning, 81% of black Americans say they want the police to remain in their neighborhoods the same amount of time they currently are or increase that presence, not decrease it, not defund them. The Democrats are barking up the wrong tree here. Thanks for being a part of the show today. Appreciate that. We'll see you for free for all Friday tomorrow. Have a great day. Bye-bye.